So we are continuing in our life hack series. Obviously, that's why we played the life hacks guy video. But so far, we've covered how to be loyal and how to be kind, as well as keep your mouth shut. And I don't know about you guys, but that's something I definitely needed to practice. Um, but this week, we are going to be talking about everyone's favorite subject in the world, admitting that we are wrong. Yes, admitting we are wrong and apologizing. Yes, I know. It's brutal. I get it. I really do. Admitting I'm wrong is like the last thing on the planet I want to do ever. I do this thing because of this. I do this thing in life that my friends and family like to call the double down. And what the double down is, is whenever I feel like I'm being proved wrong or I'm trying to be pressured into do something or I'm cornered, I double down on my stance or my opinion. Like I'm, I will dig my heels in and I will not be moved from that opinion. And that's just a nice way of saying that I'm really stubborn. I struggle with stubbornness. Let's just call it what, is it what it is. And if I use this, let's say, quality of the double down for good, for good things in my life, I could be really disciplined. I could be like read a thousand books if I just was like resolute on things I want to do. No, I use it when I don't want to admit that I'm wrong, which is not a good thing. Like, for example, one time I was having a chat. I was having a chat with Pastor JL and Pastor Joe, and we were talking about um, this traffic debacle situation that happens right here behind the church on H Road, right in front of the elementary school. And I don't know however many of you are familiar with that, but when school is in session and that school is doing drop-off and pickup time, it is a nightmare. I'm talking like New York City gridlock. I'm talking like LA freeway on a Friday during rush hour, bumper to bumper traffic, which is an exaggeration. I get that. It's just a small two lane road, but there's like 500 parents all trying to pick up their child at the same time on a two lane road with nowhere to go. And I'm one of those parents, and this is why I'm complaining about this now. And so I'm talking to Joe and JL about it, and I'm just complaining and this is the worst like how do they not fix it and Joe and JL being very rational people just calmly suggested to me that I just use like the side street over here called 23 and a half road that happens to go just right on right on through to the other side take the back way into the church nobody ever takes it and the problem is is for most of my adult life, I've believed that 23 and a half road is a dead end. Like it does not go all the way through to the frontage road. I don't know why I believe this, but it's true. And I did believe that. And so I looked Joe in the face and I go, no, that's a dead end. And the look Joe gave me, it was like this puzzled like sideways look. And he's like, no, it, it for sure goes all the way through. And, and there's this other phenomenon that happens around here at the 4640 offices. And this phenomenon is very closely associated with the double down. You know, the thing where I'm really stubborn and I refuse to admit that I'm wrong? Yeah, that one. So these two things go hand in hand and it's called the lunch bet. And what the lunch bet is, put simply, is you put your money where your mouth is, literally. Like it's the crucible of knowledge. It's the ultimate smackdown between truth and hunger. And it's where we separate the right people from the wrong people and not in any other way than I'm just incorrect. And so I, that's exactly what I did. I bet lunch on it. And I looked Joe right dead smack in his classically handsome tall guy face. And I said, you're wrong. It's a dead end. I bet lunch on it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was confident in my navigational abilities. I was a Boy Scout. I can use a compass. Yeah. I can, I can orientate on a map. I can read a map. I could be a cartographer if I had to be. But 
in that moment, the confused and puzzled look and just this look of confidence on Joe's face told me everything I needed to know. And in what happened to be, gotta be a world record for fastest Google Maps ever, Joe delivered the final blow to my already sinking ship. And it turns out that he was right. And JL was right. And I was wrong. Oh, yeah, the pit in my stomach was not only going to be filled with not free Chick-fil-A, but it was filled with the torrid liquid of defeat and disappointment that I was not getting free lunch, but that I had to buy not one, not two, but three lunches that day. One for me, one for Joe, and one for J.L. And instead of trusting these very trustworthy people in my life who would not lie, first of all, and then why would they lie about something so dumb? And why would I be so stubborn about it? They wouldn't lie about it. But instead of me just trusting them, be like, you know, I could be wrong, you know, I chose to double down and bet on it. And that's when I was faced with the humbling experience of admitting that I was wrong in front of the whole you staff, apologizing for my stubbornness, and then paying for three lunches. And I could have spared myself from all of that, but I didn't. And what matters about that story is the part that comes so hard to all of us, owning it and admitting when we are in the wrong. So tonight we're going to look at that. We're going to look at how do we own our mistakes? How do we admit when we are wrong? And how do we apologize for it? Because the truth is everyone, every single person on the planet without Jesus, just on a base level, is really bad at this subject. Every single one of us. It goes against how we feel, how we think, and how we act naturally. And pride gets in our way, and we ultimately would rather be right than admit defeat. Every one of us is going to face a chance in life to be humble and own up to our wrongdoing. Or we can do what I did and dig ourselves further into the hole by being stubborn and doubling down. And like I told in that story, I'm the, I can be the worst of the worst about this. Like, I can't tell you the amount of times I've gone to the mat in a knockdown, drag out argument with my eight-year-old daughter because I refuse to be wrong. I refuse to let it go. So I'm not up here harping on everybody like, I'm better than you. I, I'm preaching to myself, okay? You guys with me? Thank you, one of you. <laughs> All right, so we're going to look at a story that happens in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and it's about King David. Now, we often look to King David as like the measuring stick of one of like a, a man of God, a person of God we should look up to, and, and we should. He's a hero of the faith. I mean, he was anointed king of Israel as a little boy. He killed Goliath as a little boy. He brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel. He turned the nation back to God. God describes him as a man after his own heart, after God. God's own heart. But there's this one story in particular where David doesn't quite look that good. David isn't quite the stellar shining image of integrity that we think he is. And so we're going to pick it up in 2 Samuel chapter 11. So basically in this story, David is supposed to go to war. And so back in this time, the king would always ride out into battle with his army, always. And it was, it was like a move of solidarity, like, I'm not just sending you guys out to go fight my battles. I'm in this too. Our nation matters to me. I got your back. Problem was, is David decided he wasn't going to go to this war. For whatever reason, he decided he was not going today. And, and it made me think about, like, you know when you make plans with a friend or, like, the squad, and then at the last minute somebody bails, and it's just like really just a bummer. You're like, what? And they don't even have a good reason. And so I was thinking about it. I was like, what would David's group chat look like? And guys, we did some like archaeology. We, this is real. 
This was like the Dead Sea Scrolls and then this group chat. Um, and so the first one, like, you know, the little text message noise comes up. Hey, yo, boys, we doing this war thing or what? Next one comes up. Yo, this war going to slap for real, for real. Prayer hands, 100%. King, what's the move? You finna pull up? Nah, fam, I'm mad sleepy. You need a mental health day. Okay, bet. Word, you do you? Whack. Nah, no cap, boys. I ain't slept in a minute. And then, the worst, left on red. Left on red. It's so lame. How can he make plans? We've all done this. We've all experienced this. We make plans with the friends. And then somebody in the last minute's like, no, I don't want to. And you're like, why? And they're like, I don't know. And we don't have a good reason. And so that's exactly what David did. He should have gone to do war with the boys, but instead he ended up in trouble. 2 Samuel 11, verse 2. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David's taking a nap, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. And as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Now, hold on. Pause. Hold up. We hit the e-brake here. This is church. Everybody relax, okay? Now, David is for real taking a nap, and then he just like wakes up and decides to go, you know, peruse over his kingdom. Now, inherently nothing wrong with that. Like there's nothing bad about him taking a nap, and then he gets up, and he's just looking off the balcony, like checking out his kingdom, and then he runs into some PG-13 nonsense. And what he should have done in that moment was go, and turn around and go back inside and fire up the Xbox One stone tablet, like the original, the Xbox One, the first one. But no, that's not what he did. Now, I'm not going to go into the full, de- full details of this story because we're in church, and if you really want to know, you can read it in your Bible. But long story short, King David ends up with a baby mama. Yeah. And then, yo, oh, it gets worse. To make matters worse, she's already married. To make matters even worse, David's already married. And to make matters the most worse, her husband happens to be one of the leaders of David's army. One of his friends, probably in that group chat, probably one of those dudes. And so not only did, I'm I'm like, guys, this is crazy. You should read your Bible. All this is in there. And so does David do the right thing? Does David come clean? Does David own it with his buddy and try and make things right? No. He does what every rational person would do and has the man murdered. I'm being sarcastic. That's not the rational thing to do. That's not what sane people do. When you mess up, you don't have the person's husband murdered. That's crazy. David was out of pocket for sure. Your Bible is crazy, y'all. You should read it. And so not only did David bail on his friends, he stole his buddy's wife, and then he gets her pregnant, and then he has her husband, his friend, killed. Super messed up. All of it. He was not good to his wives, but that's a whole other thing. Well, obviously, God is not stoked with David at all in this situation. Like, zero percent. The stoke level is very low. So God, being God, sends his prophet Nathan to go have a little chat with David. A little discussion. A little, like, uh, just a little friendly meeting to catch up on the hot goss happening around the kingdom. And so Nathan tells David this riveting story. Oh, as he wove this tapestry about a rich man. This rich man had everything he ever wanted. He had so much livestock, like so much livestock. Like if you saw the livestock, you'd be like, whoa, 
That's a lot of livestock. And then in the story, he goes on to tell the story about a poor man. And this poor man had nothing, nothing to his name except for one little baby lamb. One little baby lamb. He probably named Snuggles. Little baby lamb named Snuggles. And little Snugs, he loved him. He spent every dime he had on this little baby lamb, Snuggles. And he loved him. He probably bought him like little boots and a little harness. And he'd walk and be like, people, let me tell you about my best friend. He's a warm-hearted lamb that I'll love to the end. And they just had the best time ever. Like Snuggles and this poor man are BFFs forever. Then, trouble. A guest comes to visit this rich man. And back in that culture, when you had a guest come and visit like a rich person or a person of power, they would throw this huge banquet, this huge party, blow it out, like the the best food you can imagine, dressed to the nines, all of that. And generally, to like top off this feast, they would kill and slaughter a fattened calf or a fattened lamb. Foreshadowing, I know. So this rich guy, he's got all the baby lambs he could ever want in his own herd. But does he take one of his own? No. He takes little snuggles. Little snugs. He takes little snugs. And then he turns little snugs into the best rack of lamb anybody's probably ever had. And I get it. It's scary and it's sad. And, but honestly, if you've never had really done well done rack of lamb, you're missing out. Like it is a treat, but that's beside the point. So after hearing this story about the rich man stealing from the poor man, David like comes unhinged. Like he goes ballistic. Verse 12 or verses five and six. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Now, what David didn't know is that Nathan was pulling a little sneaky on him. 2 Samuel 12, 7a, then Nathan said to David, you are that man. That's you. You're the rich man. Psych, it was an allegory. And if you don't know what an allegory is, it's a narrative made up to represent a real situation. And so David is the rich man in this story. And the lamb and the poor man is the situation he's found himself in, right? He stole a man's wife and he had her husband killed. And so Nathan lays into him, proceeds to tell David that because of all of this, because he did all of this, God is going to give away all of his wives. David's family is going to rebel against him and a bunch of other really, really horrible, bad stuff is about to happen to him. And it was because he killed that guy. And it was because he stole his wife, but it was also because he lied about it. David had the chance to come clean about what he had done, but he didn't. When Nathan came to see David, it had been years and years and years. And so David never owned up to his mistake. He never owned up to it, and it cost him big time. And we all face times in life where we can either face the music and tell the truth or lie. It will happen, but we can be different from David. We can be different from David in this story, and we start by owning our mistakes. So what does that look like? What does it look like to own our mistakes? Well, first we start by saying, my bad, dude, I'm sorry, right? We own it. We say, hey, I was wrong, and you were right. Everybody repeat after me. I was wrong. You were right. Some of you struggled with that a little harder than you should have, right? This is something we should get really good at saying, hey, I was wrong, my bad, I messed up. And then the next thing we do is we apologize for it. Hey, I was wrong, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? 
If you will apply these things in your life, if you will say those three sentences back to back to back in situations where you are wrong, you will be head and shoulders above everybody else in your life because so many people cannot get this thing right. The next thing we do is we don't make excuses. We all know somebody who makes an excuse every time we're mad at them and they like excuse themselves from this situation. Like, hey man, uh, that's my calculator. You just stole it out of my backpack. And they're like, well... No, well, it's because, it's because I needed it and um, my family can't afford a calculator and they like stare at you and you're like, well, what do I say to that? That's a trump card. How do I come back from that? I can't like argue with you and be like, well, I'm mad at you because of that. Like that's an excuse. An excuse is when somebody uses an explanation to like minimize the problem or explain the problem, what they've done wrong away. But what we can do instead of making excuses is explain our behavior. And the difference is explaining our behavior owns the problem. So it's saying like, I'm sorry I made you feel that way. When I said that, I meant this. Or I'm sorry that you felt offended by my actions. When I did that, I was trying to do this. You see how it still owns the problem? It still owns the behavior, but it gives context. It gives people an explanation of why we did what we did. And if we will explain why we did what we did, it helps us be gracious. It helps us be humble. And that is our next point. Be humble. We have to be humble when we are in the wrong because if we are not humble, we will run into problem, run into problems. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud. People of pride, God opposes them. I don't know about you, but I do not want God to oppose me. That sounds really scary. It says, God opposes the proud, but gives what? Grace to the humble. When we are humble, when we are in the wrong, and we, when somebody confronts us and they say how they, we made them feel and we listen to them out and we are humble and we are objective, we, we are being Christ-like. And so what this looks like is we need to realize that, hey, we're not perfect, but neither are they. Nobody is perfect on this earth. Nobody. And so when we receive correction, when, we, when somebody confronts us in that way, we have to be objective. And what that means is to look at the situation and see if you can see where they're coming from. Look at the situation and see if you, they're telling the truth. See if you can see how maybe what you said hurt them, that sort of thing. And if we try to understand why a person feels the way they do, we will be able to be humble and gracious towards them. And this is true whether we are in the wrong or the right. Sometimes it's not about being right. Sometimes it's about making it right. Sometimes it's about owning our mistakes and making sure that other person who was hurt is gonna be okay. And it's about the relationship, not about who's right or wrong. And so if we've messed up, let's say we've messed up and this was like a while ago. Let's, let's just say like, a few months ago, your mom told you to do your homework, or that would be too long of a punishment. Let's say a few days ago, your mom told you to do your homework, you didn't do your homework, and then you went to Billy's house anyway. And then your mom goes in your room and sees that your homework was undone, but all you did was like crudely lay a magazine over the top of it, but crooked so she could still see it. And so she comes in and she's mad. And then like you get in trouble, you have to come home from Billy's house and then you have to do the dishes and do your sister's chores and all of that, you're grounded. And you're wondering to yourself, should I apologize? Should I own it? That was a few days ago, or do I let it go? Well, I'd like to invite uh, my friends One Republic. Um, they're a band. They're an older band. I don't know if you know them, but you'll know this song when it comes. So play that, play that funky music. Hey, yeah. 
That's a great song. It's a breakup song, but I'm going to apply it to this, what we're doing. So the lyrics are, is it too late to apologize? Is it too late? No, the answer is no. It's never too late to apologize. So in this situation with your mom, mom, like, should I apologize to my mom? Well, sing the song. Is it too late to apologize? Is it too late? No, I'm sorry, mom. You were right. I should have done my homework. I'm very sorry. Please forgive me. I was wrong. You were right. Or maybe you get caught gossiping about a friend behind their back and they call you out on it. Is it too late to apologize? Well, let's, let's check the tape. Is it too late to apologize? Is it too late? No, it's not too late to apologize. Apologize to your friend. We all hate it when people talk about us behind our back. So imagine how they would feel. We need to recognize that it is never too late to apologize, whether it's in the moment, a few days from the moment, or maybe it's even years away from the moment. It is never too late to apologize when we've messed up. It's never too late to own our mistakes and make it right. And so when we mess up in life, we will have the opportunity to be humble. We will have the opportunity to own our mistakes or do the opposite and be prideful and make excuses or lie about what we have done. But the truth is, as followers of Jesus, we have a responsibility to show integrity, honesty, and humility when we are in the wrong, seeking forgiveness and reconciliation. We have a responsibility to tell the truth and to seek to make things right with the person we have wronged. And it's not about being right. It's not about winning. It's about showing humility and the love of Christ to people in our lives. So let us be people who not only own up to our wrongs, but seek to be gracious to others when they wrong us. Because the truth is, nobody's perfect. And we all know how it feels to be wronged. We all know how it feels to have somebody hurt us. And so we want the same treatment back and forth, right? The golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated. So if somebody wrongs us and we give them grace, we have to, that's because we want the same thing back. If we want grace when we have wronged somebody, we have to give it when somebody has wronged us. Let us be people of integrity. Let us be people who own up to what they do and apologize for it. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much. God, we just thank you for everything that you've done in our lives. Lord, I ask right now that you would help us to own our mistakes. God, give us the humility to admit that when we're wrong and apologize for it and to make it right. God, get us out of the way. Help us to not be prideful. Help us to not worry about who's going to win and who's going to be right, but to worry about showing the love of Christ to people we've wronged. And it's in your powerful name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center podcast. For more information on what happening at 4640, you can check us out on social media or our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights, and we hope to see you there.